This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. At least you better be. Welcome to the Most of the Homeless Podcast. I'm your host, Dammit Damien. All right, buddies, boy, am I excited to see you. It's been a nice little winter break, hasn't it? Uh, it's been a little while. We took some time off to just rest and recuperate and get my ass kicked in retail hell. If you missed the holiday live taping we did at Mutiny, you can catch it now at mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Uh, it was guest starring Kevin O'Brien from These Things Matter Podcast, Bree Davies from The Westward, and my goody bu- good buddy Alex from Jack Smirking Revenge as the musical guest uh, it was a damn good damn fun time and i'm pretty sure i'm still recovering from that hangover even though that was two weeks ago uh needless to say i'm still recovering from the new year's eve hangover where i ran into three ex-girlfriends who told me how terrible a person i was but that's okay because today we're hanging out and we're chatting with my good buddy mr jim norris now if you're any part of the colorado music scene or if you're a part of the denver art scene at all You've heard of Jim Norris, and you probably know him. Jim is one of the three owners of the Three Kings Tavern here in Denver, Colorado. Um, and uh, Three Kings Tavern is celebrating their 10-year anniversary this weekend. Unfortunately, this also celebrates Jim's final hurrah with the company as he is moving on and moving forward from Three Kings. He is also, of course, uh, one of the owners of Mutiny Information Cafe. He was kind enough to set me up and let me start hosting my silly little talk shows uh, once a month in there in the bookstore. And he's also uh, been just this huge inspiration and big, you know, um, cheerleader of mine for all these years. And we're going to talk about all that today. We're going to talk about him leaving uh, Three Kings, what he's up to with Mutiny and all his other projects, what he thinks of Denver, uh, and how he got started and the Denver of tomorrow. Um, it's a really great, fun chat. We did it in the middle of the afternoon, which I think is kind of a rare time for both of us to be up and awake and out in public. So, of course, I'm super caffeinated and he's got a hell of a cough. So it makes for a fun, fun time. But uh, I've known Jim for we discovered throughout the interview probably about seven years probably longer than that but uh again jim's been a huge 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 inspiration to me and i don't think i'd be doing what i'm doing how i'm doing it and where i'm doing it if it wasn't for mr jim norris so it's fun i I know he's not the traditional like comedian musician or uh filmmaker that we talk to here on the show but he's a guy who shows you that there are other ways to make it in these industries without being in front of the microphone without being on stage without having a paintbrush in your hand or a uh you know camera in your hand he's a guy who's made a living successful through music through all these years and uh, made a hundred thousand different friends and done doing it um, so uh, before we get into the interview ah, I'm sitting here I'm sipping on an antidote IPA one of my favorite beers from our sponsor ratio beerworks 2920 Larimer Drive in Denver Colorado Denver's premier punk rock brewery um, tomorrow Tuesday January 5th we launch the uh, premiere episode of our Ratio Sessions. Uh, it's a thing that I'm producing. It's kind of like the Pink Couch Sessions or um, Bands in Vegas where we, we have these intimate acoustic 
concerts with these bands and it's unlike those other sessions we decided to invite all our friends to them and uh throw a party and it's a damn good time we just we're about to announce small brown bike is going to be in the tap room um that's going to be pretty great i can't wait to chat with those guys that is going to be boy if i was more professional i would have this already pulled up let's pull up this good old google calendar small brown bike ratio sessions uh january 23rd in the ratio tap room and then check out ratiobeerworks.com tomorrow or whenever you see this to find our uh, Menzingers ratio session. Uh, it's something I'm super proud of. I'm glad that we all three uh, us, Soda Jerks Presents and uh, myself all came came together to be a part of and of course make sure to visit ratio beer works i uh, also help co-host a somewhat monthly comedy series in their tap room and not to mention they sponsor our mostly harmless live shows so go visit denver's premier punk rock brewery and uh, see what some other denver punk rock luminaries are doing um that's not music you know uh there's all kind of places and things that music can take you and one of the big uh things i want to do with mostly harmless throughout 2016 is show you there are alternate ways and alternate things you can do and still be successful and still be a part of the art scene uh, i've rambled on long enough as you can tell i've had way too much coffee today thank you jim and matt at mutiny for getting me uh get me all jacked up get me all jacked up buddies and then so i uh, i asked jim jim you know jim not being a musician i asked him I was like hey man uh what song do you want to open this uh interview up with since we usually have a song of some sort and uh earlier today he was uh commenting on my saint fall apart shirt He's like, I love that band. Every time I see Joel, I'm just like, man, why aren't you in a band? He's giving them shit, giving them gruff. And uh, so when I asked him what song he wanted to open up with, he didn't hesitate. He went with Joel's other band, a little bit older, a little band called Whiskey Kiss. And, of course, the song Jim wants us to play is Denver Do or Die. And that's, of course, by Whiskey Kiss. I'll throw some links on the website where you can find this record. So uh, let's take a listen to some Whiskey Kiss, guys, and then join Jim at the Mutiny Information Cafe, 2nd South Broadway here in Denver. Uh, and we'll listen to us uh, get uber caffeinated and chat about Denver punk rock and uh, being creative. You had uh, moved to, what do you call it? Denver. Denver to a die. Denver to a die This is my home, this is my pride Denver to a die Denver to a die Denver to a die This is my home, this is my
on Denver. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. He was talking about playing Mutiny at one point. That would be wicked awesome. We should make that happen. Well, I got lots of time to do that. That's like the big plan is to blow this up in an all-ages venue. Let's do it. Yeah. I, well, just, I just need wheels on the bookshelves. Set up the stage back here, blow that way, and get 250 kids in here. Yeah. Man. You, you've owned this, what, since 2000? <clears throat> It'll be three years in February. Three years. Yep. Damn. That's hard to believe. Yeah, super fast. Went by like that, just like a dream. Hey, Mike. Um... I, Matt Megacy was posting videos of what it looked like when you guys bought the place, and it's so different now. Yeah, it is. And yet, it's so so much of what was there is still there. You just guys, you saw it, you saw the potential, man. Yeah. You saw what's going on. Yep. I think you know Jack. Jack, it's I mean like the three of us running this. We have a staff of what five, six other people. There's no yeah. way. I mean Jack ran this by himself. Of course he was grouchy. <laughs> you know, of course he didn't want to be here. It's so much work. One load of books to shelve, you know, if it was one person, it would take, you know, all day. Yeah. I never I never met Jack. I own a piece of his stuff now in my living room, and I need, I feel like maybe I should meet him. You should come down to the art show at Cabal on Saturday. I saw that. I saw that. I guess we're already going since we're already chatting. Already. But we always have this problem. Like, you and me are always chatting. Oh, by the way, I'm hanging out with Jim Norris at Mutiny Cafe, uh, your rock star bookstore, Woo. coffee shop. Love it. All ages, soon to be all ages venue. And, uh... So I've known you for like five years now. Maybe a little longer. Maybe a little longer. Yep. And it, it dawned on me the other day, I don't really know anything about you. Well, I don't know. This is kind of weird. Like, I know a lot about well, you. Yeah we've, but kept, yeah, we've kept a lot in touch. I know as a big cheerleader trying to get your ass up here to do stuff. Yeah, it. but the, that, that was the thing, too, I was thinking about. I was like, we never talk about the past when we're together. We're always looking forward and looking at that future and talking about what's next, what's Yeah, on those the are the kind of people I try to gravitate toward. It's like, hey, that's cool. But, uh... But you do have a killer story. Like you worked for Nip for what twenty years? No, I only worked for him like ten years. Oh, okay, but still. Yeah. And then you owned Three Kings, which is how I met you for another ten years. Ten years. Yeah, I'm on a ten year cycle thing. And then now this will be ten years. This will be this. This, this is, is going to be life. here forever. Yeah, yeah. I could. This is a spot where I can hang out and grow old at. I can see you retiring here and oh, being yeah. like, uh, like you being the crotchety the old man behind the counter. Like, yep. What do yep. you got? You got a Bukowski? Yep. I promise, Jack that. That's what I told him. If I, if I took it over, I'd throw on the rockabilly or get the rockabilly haircut, some buddy holly glasses. Yeah. Uh, I started listening to the last podcast interview you did just to kind of get some background and some questions. And I started hearing all these stories. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to hear those fresh and get them from you cool. myself. Um, and really, I don't really have a game plan other than like, it's like, hey, look, you're a guy I've known for a long time. You do. The idea is this year I'm going to change the the path of most of the harmless from telling just general interviews questions to I wanted to change the name of it to participation points and talk more about how easy it is to get in get in there and just make things happen and how yeah. people can psych themselves out and how it's like dude just do it yeah and exactly. like we were talking about with the podcast it's like just do it it's yeah. easy why wouldn't you do it yeah it's, and, it's super easy and I learned we first met, I was running the Triple Nickel Tavern for JJ Nobody in Colorado Springs, and we were cross-promoting shows. He would send me stuff, I'd send you stuff. Yep. We'd make some big stuff happen. Probably the biggest shows I've ever done as like an independent guy was those Jughead Revenge shows. Like Those were insane. I was like, hell yeah, this is all I ever want to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I got burnt out and quit. But, um, but how did you get... I heard a little bit of the story, but you were a zine kid. You lived in Parker. Yep. Got in the punk rock. How'd you find punk rock? Punk rock, I found, you know, around 15. Uh, borrowed a Sex Pistols cassette from my brother, <clears throat> one of my friend's older brothers. 
you know, went home and got on my maple or what it was the old 70s waterbed, slapped that in my cassette <laughs> player. And then by the time that second guitar riff comes around on uh, Anarchy in the UK, that kind of sounds like Batman. That, da, 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 that was it, man. That was it. And out in Parker, it was hard to find. There was one record store maybe 10 miles away. Went there, you know, you had an idea of what I was looking for. You know, there just wasn't punk rock at the yeah. record bin back then. And I found a soundtrack to Repo Man. And then boom, from there it was just on. Oh, yeah. Why Sex Pistols? Why was that the tape you picked up? Any idea? It was because as you know, growing up, I remember going to the mall in the seventies and seeing uh, and seeing like the God Save the Queen and Sex Pistols. And as yeah. a kid, you know, like ten and maybe even eleven, pretty sheltered. Those two words together just didn't jive. I didn't understand what it was. <laughs> I, I knew sex was something. I knew what a pistol was. You know, and you put them together, and you know, it just it. You, I could it even made an impression here. I remember seeing it at whatever the record store was in Cinderella City back in the day. Oh yeah, uh, I got to tell you, um, with these mic stands, every it picks up everything. Oh. I know that'll be hard for both of us because we both talk with our hands. Yeah, all right. I didn't think that through too much when I grabbed these handheld no mic stands. No but, uh, uh, so, how old are you now? I'll be. F- I'm 48. 48? Yeah. Still a very young man. Not remarkably immature for my age. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you're this kid in Parker who picks up the Sex Pistols. Uh, what did that do to your constitution? Like, what, what kind of kid were you before you found Sex Pistols? I was Pistols? pretty good. You know, I was an honor roll kid in sports and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, after oh. punk rock, you can start to question those things, of course. All downhill. <laughs> well, yeah, just, you know, the people, there was a group of us in Parker back then, and this was, you know, early 80s, so there wasn't that many. You know, the one high school. And uh, the guys that got into it at the time, you know, Garrett Brittenham, he still plays in bands. I think he plays with Buckingham Squares, Boss 302, when they do their reunions, uh, Orangatones. And there was a few guys that just stuck with it. You know, Garrett and I just really resonated with us hard. So, you know, we figured out where Wax Tracks was, figured out where to find these things, figured out what movies to watch. Remember the day we came back from Wax Tracks with the uh, Decline of the Western Civilization soundtrack, yeah, yeah. you know? That one still has all the beer stains from when I was 16. Did you ever meet uh, Alex Cox, the director of Repo Man? No, I've missed every opportunity yeah. to meet him. Because he lived here for a while, or in Boulder. Yep. Did you did you help him work on that at the, no. at the uh, Alamo thing? That last movie he made, I didn't I didn't get to do any of that. I, I did interview him after that movie came out. Um, just hit him up on email. He answers all his email personally. He's did like, he have any idea what he was creating at the time, or was it just something that he was just, I don't know. I mean, it just strikes he, me as... It's, he's, it's a science fiction movie, but yet he got so much great punk rock in it. He's such a weird uh, British guy. I don't think he lived in the punk rock scene. He was like, I wasn't a part of it. I was just outside of it, close enough to see it happening. And he jumped in and brought the, those aspects along with it. But I don't, I don't think he knew what he was creating. I don't think so either. Because uh, Michael Nesmith, he wouldn't have the acumen to pick up bands yeah. like that. Or and uh, you know, then he did Sid and Nancy, and I don't. I think he knew a little bit more of what he was getting into with that. Sid and Nancy's a beautiful movie. It's, it's great. Yeah, Shot great. Yes, TP on that is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. But so, so you're this kid living in Parker. You discover these punk rock bands. How did you get into uh, making things happen? Well, I guess it would be, you know, sticking with the punk rock. You know, just became really passionate about music at, at that point, you know, so... I went to college to get a writing degree, so I would be... Where'd you go to college? Up in Greeley, UNC. I went, went there to get a writing degree with the intention of being a music critic. And the deeper I got into the, you know, re- reading about music and, uh, you know, actually meeting musicians, I realized it's pretty an audacious task to criticize <laughs> anyone's art like that. 
So kind of what you know, they ended up uh, like I think the second to last semester of my senior year, there was a bunch of rapes on campus, and uh, at the same time, the fraternities were throwing like boxing matches and really testosterone-driven things. So I wrote a long letter to the editor about how much I couldn't stand these fucking assholes. Why don't they do something better with their time, like escort women home from the bar and the library and such like that. And of course, I got death threats for three weeks after that. It was a huge hubbub. And and then I realized, wow, man, the power of the press, man, pissing people off, it's so easy to do. So I found another uh, kindred spirit up there and we did our first first zine up there and it turned out great. It was like the probably Photoshop one. This guy was like, you know, in in the master's program of the arts thing. So he got access to that. So our first zine was done. I mean, it took for an eight-page zine, which, like, right now, you and I could whip out fucking a day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took us, like, two, three weeks to get the filters to come through, but it's absolute brilliant work, you know, and got a lot of great response from that. Yeah. You yeah. didn't do the cut-and-paste thing? Not for that one. Yeah, that's cool. But, that- then, but then when I came to, de- after graduating college, I drove around the country, you know, and when I came back, I wanted to start a magazine. You know, it was like, when you're a fiction writer or any kind of writer, you know, getting rejection letters is gets old you know and for me i'm a proud person you know getting seven rejection letters in a row was devastating so i was like you know what fuck this dude let's just make our own deal and i knew a bunch of guys you know we got I, matt matt came in a little after the first few issues uh, my high school buddies were incredible artists i got to meet musicians you know i was early 90s denver so there wasn't a lot you know there's uh that time's like psychedelic zombies era lord of word babyhead babyhead had just started boss 302 it was a groovy time. It was a smaller scene. I don't even know. All those references go right over my uh, 34-year-old head. Well, all the great people that are listening to you will know what they're at. But, yeah. but a lot of those guys, it's like, you know, uh, you know Dave Herrera, that former editor, of the, or music editor of the Westward, he was doing a zine at the time. Julia McClurg was doing a zine at the time, and she ended up doing the Hectics. And now she, I think she's, uh, she's a pretty big time artist living in Costa Rica. Who else was doing zines at the time? Jerry Teal, she worked for a zine at the same time Herrera was doing stuff. Oh, uh, Sam DiStefano and the Hate Fuck Trio guys that are doing oh, yeah. uh, that other magazine now. They had one called The Red Wheelbarrow back then. So there was a lot of people that were really active in zine culture, you know, which helps cheerlead all the other different cultures. What I've noticed, too, is a lot of those zine guys are still active in the community yeah, one way or yeah, the other. It's pretty cru- It's pretty crazy. It's kind of like um, listening to a lot of, like, you know, I obviously rip off the Mark Maron podcast, but he talks to a lot of comedians. It's like, when we started, it's funny how many contemporaries they started out with, strong, yep. are still doing it and doing it well and making livings off of it. And it seems like you guys are kind of, it seems like the Denver comedy scene and the Denver musicians that actually have stuck with it, and you guys are all in that same pack yep. and still making things, yep. making big things happen. It's kind of cool. Hopefully I can ride those coattails <laughs> i just was never concerned about making money you know it was always about doing something fun and it's and if you go into it with that kind of attitude you know if you do get, i mean if you do get paid that works out awesome yeah but everything's like a break-even deal you know i just want to tell a bunch of good stories in the end so do you remember the first time you made money from writing <laughs> or have you ever <laughs> i don't think i've gotten paid for writing yet that's funny well i've done you know uh technical writing for people and get paid for something like that. Yeah, but not your own personal. Nope, not really. Yeah, geez, not too much. I don't really think it's ever. I don't think I've ever been paid for it. That's funny. I, I was lucky enough that I was writing for New Noise magazine, and they paid me a little bit here and there. And I was like, hell yeah, that's way cool. And uh, I was like, I've made it. And it, it was just one of those check marks. Okay, got paid for writing. Well, uh, 
Now what? Now right. what am I gonna? Now what, what? Which mountain am I gonna tackle? I just uh, got my first check for uh, film production stuff. We got a I got a piece coming out on PBS about wax tracks this month. Oh sweet! Yep. I didn't know you were doing that either. Yep, I'm working with. That's one of the other things I got more time for is to start shooting that kind of stuff. Nice. So there's uh, a crew of like three or four of us that are working on doing different Denver-centric documentary yeah. things. I, once upon a time, I had a friend ask me. She was really, and it was a legitimate question. She was like, "You like everything. You like music. You like movies. You like comic books. You like this. You like that. How, how are you so into all of this? Why don't you just focus on one?" And I'm like, "What's the point of focusing on?" They're one? all the same. You man. It's all one giant connected yeah. thing. You know, like when we opened the Kings, you know, the intention was that we would bring artists, musicians, and writers all into the same spot because, you know. You need to have somebody to do your album cover. You need to have someone to write a review about you, you know. And then, you know, musicians are kind of a, you know, they're kind of a one-centric thing. Yeah. You know, some some of them have other talents, but in general, they have that one magic, that one magic talent. I didn't even realize I was doing that with the mostly harmless live shows that we do here. That you're gracious enough to let me do, until just now talking about it. I'm like, that's totally what I do. Yeah. Great. It's bringing all the right people together in the right spot and, introdu and introducing them so they can like you know. And it's cool. Cross pollinate. Uh, Zach Kinsella, I introduced him to Ian Douglas Terry, and now he does all the comedy posters in town. Really? Just through right yeah. here, me yeah. and me, me getting Zach's, drunk. Zach's the shit. I being, love Zach. Zach. Being ridiculous. Yep. It's so easy. And that's the thing too about Denver right now is that it is so easy to make things happen. Yep. And you're proof of it. You've been doing it for 20 years. Yep. So you were doing zines, you and Mac Megacy were doing, what was it called? The. The. Yep. Very, very inspirational title. <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you get into working, like actually running music venues? How did that, how did that all come to be? Uh, I got my first job at the Bluebird as a security guy, like a fill-in security guy. And I remember my first night, the first show was a Real Big Fish and Aquabats. Oh, hell yeah. I worked like the all ages gate, so it was just like we used to split the floor, and I'd sit there, and you didn't have to do anything. All you had to do was let staff through. So it was a really sweet deal. The show was so much fun, and I remember going home that that night and telling my ex-wife, "It's like, well, I'm going to do this three nights a week for the rest of my life." You know, so I was perfectly content just to be a security guy. You know, and I, I had a new baby at the time, so you know, I, had, I had to work a lot. So you know, I'd have like my shift beer and go home. Yeah. Most of my tearing it up had been behind me for a year or so, and then. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just kind of stuck with it, did a good job. And then there was great managers over there. Mary Robertson was a manager at the time. She's an absolutely one of my first senseis. You know, so she gave me, you know, barback, bartender, and then got offered assistant manager job, and then the manager's job at the Ogden, and then pretty much running all the all the clubs. So, and so you learned from the ground up. Yep. Like you, you know how to do everything in the bar. Yep. You know, prior to that, I'd spent, I'd done uh, a couple years in retail. I'd worked for Virgin Me Virgin Megastore from the opening downtown for about a year. Then went <clears throat> went full time at Nip, and then before that, I'd worked for a place called Rocky Mountain Records and Tapes down in Littleton. Cool. Worked for them for about a year or two. Yeah, I remember when Nip dissolved. Is that when you jumped ship and started the Kings? No, uh, we were encouraged to go because I think that was part of the. Yeah. The breaking things down. You know, I was the most, not the highest paid employee, but I was up there. And uh, my assistant Jeff and Marty were both up there at the same time. And, you know, Jeff got let go at the same time I did. And then Marty stayed for a little bit. And then, you know, Jeff and Marty had already been looking for a club anyway. 
yeah. you know, and they asked me if I wanted to get on board, and I said, well, I, you know, I don't know how to do anything else. You know, and my choices were I had been offered a job running a club, in, you know, a pretty high-profile club in San Diego, but I would have had to move, or I could have had to move to the same the same company in Chicago, but I would have had to move. And I'm, I'm a pretty family-centric guy. I love my mom <laughs> and dad. So wherever my mom and dad are, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And once they pass, maybe I'll move, but... I like how your your musical journey as far as the career started because you needed a second job for your kid. Yeah. That's that's funny. Yeah, and it just worked out great. Then it became just a primary deal, you know, and he got to be around it growing up, so you know, he's got to be around. He, he's, he's not scared of tattooed people, but he's scared of guys with ties and badges. <laughs> Aren't we all, though? <laughs> not scared, cautious. Um, and so what was that, what was it like, you know, you came from something that somebody else built to starting your own thing. What was it like? How scary was it to start the Kings? It was super scary. We, all three of us were all in. It was everything, you know. It was every penny I had. I'm sure it was every penny the other two had. We had kids. We all had, you know, we had real concerns. It, it had to win. You know, we weren't messing around. So it was, it was, it was scary. But we had, you know, when, when you when you were the two guys that work as hard as you do, it's you can get a lot done. Yeah. And uh, what was that first year like? Was it, it was it slam dunk out the door? No. Uh, it, it took a little while. I think, the, the, you know, it was luckily, you know, we had spent so much time at NIPP. We got to know a lot of local bands and yeah. local people. So it was really easy to kind of fill the slots and just do the right thing. All three of us went out on tours uh, when we first opened to see what van bands are treated like. You know, I went with uh, Planes. Jeff went with Cephalic and Marty went out with uh, Ghost Buffalo, a couple other bands. You know, so we got a good sense of how bands are treated and what you want, you know. And it's like real simple things, man. Respect. You know, the access to water and bathrooms. You know, good, polite, sound people. It's, it's common sense. I mean, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's, it's customer service. Yeah. The the unending flow of beers in the uh, band room. Yeah. It was always, yeah. I was always, like, uh, coming up from the Springs, I would be like, people like, how was the show last night? I don't remember, <laughs> but I think I had a good time. Yeah. You know, for the longest time, we'd be like, I don't remember leaving Three Kings. But I remember waking up in my bed two hours away in Colorado Springs. They should make a T-shirt out of that. You know? And um, and I, I do remember, like, let's see, I came in the Triple Nickel. I think I started around their third year anniversary. They just celebrated 10 years, so that was around your third year. Yeah. Damn, we have known each other for a while. Yeah. That's crazy. And then I we always I always looked up to you guys. Like, even now, I still look up to you. I'm like, look at what all you're doing. And I'm like, okay, I hope in 10 years I'm at that point where I can be doing those things. Yeah. And uh, I learned a lot about booking shows, booking shows running Triple Nickel through you guys, which is funny. You know, because you guys were still winging it, figuring it out there. Oh too. yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so what were some of the things you were most proud of that you did at those ten years at the triple at, or at the Kings? The Kings almost said triple nickel. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of crazy ones, man. Lots of crazy stuff. You know, I think it's hard to put. It's hard to put. Uh, there's just so many. I mean, like my brain starts going. Yeah, we shot uh, plays mistake of a stars video there that took a whole weekend. And that was crazy. We did that you know, after close and until open every day for three days. That was super fun. The Drag the River show that kind of put us over the top at the beginning. You know, we had, I think, maybe a month of just desperate. We didn't know if we were going to make bills or not. Then we did a Roller Girl Drag the River show that and there's still cream corn on the ceiling 10 years <laughs> later, you know, from that show. And that was just incredible. You know, the King Rat on New Year's, the, you know, Almost dying in the basement from my spider bite. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you bring that up. I was yeah, going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you almost died. Yeah. Spider bite. Yeah. 
What does that do to a person's constitution to be like, holy shit, I almost died? Well, it's like, it's surreal. It's totally surreal, man. Anything can happen at any time, you know? So it's like, I've always kind of lived that seize the day attitude anyway. I've, I've you know, you know, being in the music and arts business, people are a little more sensitive, and I think that our mortality rate tends to be a little higher than everybody else. Especially <clears throat> this year. Yep, so you lose a lot of friends. And you start to realize, like, this is it. You know, as far as, like, getting out and do something, you know, you could put it off or you could die tomorrow. You know, doing a podcast, doing a painting, doing whatever the fuck you want, you know. And it's really easy to do what you want. Yeah. And then after that, spy- see, so for me, like, my little sister passed away six years ago. And it took a little time. It takes a little time to get that momentum going. But it was kind of yeah. like, okay, I got to get busy living, get busy dying, you know, yep. to paraphrase. And uh, started the podcast, moved up to Denver. Started throwing live shows, did comedy for a bit, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. You, I noticed, like, not long afterwards, you started, you bought this place. You were doing Cabal. Yeah. You also did the other music venue. I did the Rockaway for a Rockaway. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I'd forgotten the name. Learned a lot from that one. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Yeah. Um, was, was that all just a reflection of that almost dying? Uh, well, I'm not going to mess around anymore. If yeah. I, like this is like this has been a dream to have this, this this story. You know, this is probably the bigger dream, the more rational dream I've had my whole life is for this bookstore. So it's like, well, yeah, you know, I just if you know if I, some you know I win, I lose on a lot of things, and it's like I just want to be able to do it and say I did it. You yeah. know, uh, well, it, and then on top of that too, like, you know, I I just lost a friend of mine who was the sound guy at the Black Sheep for years and years and years and years and years. And years. He had like a thousand people show up for his memorial service. You didn't pass away, but instead you had these benefit shows. So you got to kind of uh, experience a little bit of that then. Like, Yeah, for sure. It was very humbling, super humbling. You know, and it's like in my heart of hearts that Denver's taken such good care of me, and especially in, in that situation in my life that, you know, I'll spend the rest of my life paying that love back. Yeah. And then now you're tour managing. You just left the Three Kings. Do you want to talk about that? Like, Sure, we can. What, what, what happened there? Well, that was coming back from tour. I had been about a, m- a month out on tour with Woven Hand, and you know, it's that zen of the road. You start to think about things, and you know, while I was out there, I was kind of, you know, ten years. I've done my cycle. You know, it is what it is. There's great people over there to take the helm yeah. and figure it out. You know, there's Aaron Howell and Vinny and Josh, Josh Mullen. Those guys are over there. It's a great staff. You know, I don't need to be there. They don't need me around. Yeah. You know, I got other, I got other things I want to do. You know, I'm working on that Dink the independent yeah. the Denver Independent Arts and Comic Festival Expo and, and it's funny because I, I love Aaron and I love Vinny and I used to work for a lot more with uh, with Jeff and Marty but you to me were always the face of Three Kings like yeah. even like you, your only days were what Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday pretty Friday uh, yeah it was like Friday, Saturdays Thursday, I don't know <laughs> you were only there two days a week, but you, to me, were like the face, the mouthpiece. I, for it. Well, I was there a lot, you know, and I did yeah. the book, you know, like the way I did booking through me was if you wanted to book through me, you can come down and see me on a Saturday afternoon because yeah. I was there every Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I've been on the block every Saturday for about 10 years. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's been really important to me to do it that way because, you know, if you want to build a local scene, you want to be able to look local guys in the eye, you know, and I think I mentioned it before, but you know, if you are proud enough of your product and sure enough of your product that you're going to walk right up to that person and talk to that guy and say, yeah. "This is what I did. Will you let me play at your place?" It cuts a whole lot of the people, kids that are sitting in a garage with a with yeah. a keyboard recording stuff. They're not going to come down and talk to me. You know? it, 
And it's uh, it's a way it used to work back in the day too. Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that the back of the day stuff. You know, there's like the taint on this music business from a guy that used to run. You know, all the music in Denver, and he's a total legend, and of course he deserves all his respect. But the guy was a raging asshole, you know. And you know, he trained guys underneath him that ended up being raging assholes. Yeah. You know, for buyers, and then those buyers are like in their fifties and sixties now, and the people under them have been trained are raging assholes, man. You know, so the whole deal is to try to get that fucking negative attitude out of this out of the music business you know it's all about having fun it's not yeah. i mean the money's there for everybody it's just these gougers and greedy 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 <laughs> buyers and agents man it's disgusting well in, in in the shift back a little bit to those guys having to come talk to you um when i when i was booking shows i would always tell people i'm like i'm gonna book the people i see at shows like, yeah if your band is at if I talk to you in person, I'm going to remember you when I need to fill that slot. Yeah. Because I've seen you, I've talked to you, I like you, you're my buddy, I'm going to throw you a, a loop. And I, that's the cool thing about the Denver comedy scene is those guys are at everybody's show. Everybody oh, yeah, else's super shows. supportive. It's super absolutely supportive. incredible how much they support each other. And look how much the scene has grown yeah. through that support. Yeah. And you look at the older the older bands, um, I think in Denver is a lot better than Colorado Springs was ever at that. But you see, like, the Native Daughters guys are at all the local shows. Yep. The Muscle Beach guys, Ross Hostage from all Helters is at all every the shows. Show. Yeah. And uh, those guys are playing all the shows. Yep. So that's like, uh, it's just like you got to shake them. It's like you got to go to a show. Yeah, you have well, to support. Could, you have or to you support. can sit at home and play Halo. Right. <laughs> I wonder why your band is going nowhere. Yeah. Um, have you always had an eye for talent? It seems like you have. I think I've, like, you know, I remember being young watching, you know, uh, Teletoons and writing down my favorite videos. I've gone back and, you know, new, new ones they'd show and then watch things like, you know, songs go top 40 six months later. Yeah. I don't know. I think I've always just been well informed. I've dug deep. You know, when Spin first came out, Spin was a great resource for underground stuff at the time. You know, Rollins used to write for him. You know, Spin used to really matter. You know, I had a subscription to Rolling Stone from junior high until, of course, I realized how crap Rolling Stone was, you know, so that probably made it through high school, maybe. And then you find things like Maximum Rock and Roll and, you know, further along, Punk Planet, when Punk Planet came along. You know, Punk Planet's like the epitome of the, yeah. the greatest music magazine of all time, greatest culture magazine I've ever read. When, when I did a zine, I'm not as talented as those people, I, but I wanted to be Punk Planet. Like Punk Planet meets uh, Razor Cake. Yeah. Kind of totally. somewhere in between. With, with less acerbic reviews. I still want to do that stuff, but the uh, Suspect Press guys kind of got that cornered. Yeah, they do. One day I'll work with them. Those guys are awesome. I got to find the time. I got to quit my day job, too. We, it's hard to get paid. Yeah. That's the whole deal. <laughs> it's piecing together all the things. But, but it's sticking with it. If you stick together yeah. with it long enough, then you do get paid for these things. Exactly. You know, when you get to be my age and you've done it all this time, then Man. you end up, like, you do get paid. You know, I don't get offered stuff for free. I get offered to do things, like, you know, fun things get, to do. I got to get there. I got to get there. I get paid every once in a while. But uh, but one of the things I do like, and, you know, you mentioned it earlier. I don't know if we were recording quite yet then, but you were like, oh, I was championing you to get up here for years and years and years. And that was very, um, you've always been a good cheerleader. Yeah. I've always appreciated that. And then when it's like, hey, dude, I get this dumb idea to interview people in your bookstore. And you're like, let's do it. Yeah. Let's go for it. And you've been pushing it and pushing me and pushing everyone. And I take it you're going to still continue to do that. Oh, for sure. Kings. That's kind of the intention now. I have the time to help lots of friends out. There's a bunch of projects I'm working on that are kind of, you know, get other people going on what they got going. We have big plans for this place, you know, really big plans. And all it takes is more time and energy. Yeah. And then I really want to tour more. <laughs> you know, I want to do that more. So I'm trying to work out like maybe a month of tours a year. You know, I'll drive you. I'll settle your shows. I'll do whatever you need to do. 
you know, I'd love to do that. It sounds like you already have your 2016 lined out. Yeah, I got a busy one. And then I, got, I need to take some time off and enjoy not having to work you know, at the Kings for a while. It, you seem like the kind of person, like, I'm, I'm at that point now, too, where my year is already, like, booked up. And I'm like, holy crap, it's not even January 6th yet. It's good, though. And I'm already starting to make plans for next year. Yeah. You have plans next year? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, nice. Next year will be the second year of Dink, and that's the, the blow-up year. Uh, let's talk about Dink. How'd you get involved with those guys? Charlie and... Uh... Uh, same deal, just kind of like, you know, uh, I've been researching to do this bookstore for about six or seven years. So as I met people, I met Dan through performance art. He did a performance piece down at the Kings where he does dress like robots and shoot blood. And man, it's just Dan, Dan Crozier is one of the most amazing guys I've ever met. So I, I remember take, asking him out to lunch to tell me, like, what, what, would, what would you do? What would you want in a comic book store? How would you do this? Who should I talk to? And then, you know, we hit it off really well. You know, and I've always, I'm a huge fan of comic books and, and underground art. So through Dan, I got to meet Charlie, uh, Charlie LaGreca, who was one of the founders of the Denver Comic Con, because I, I had worked with this other nonprofit about uh, the uh, comics in the classroom. Really intrigued me. You know, so they approached me at that level, what I could do to help that. And then seeing how amazing, what an amazing job those guys did with the Comic Con. I just, and it's the same deal. These guys approach me with really weird yep. ideas, and I always say, "Yep, yep." You know, we've, like through Dan, we've I've done like the robot battle thing up at the Oriental. We had that. We had, we had the big screen, and they had the robots battle in front of it. You know, it, with the, with the movie playing in the background. Just amazing. Oh yep. yeah. And then you know, I don't know. That's how I, that's how I got to meet those guys. And then the the convention thing, it's just like, it's bringing together all these different things we talk about, you know, it's for, this will be underground culture, more underground art. So it's like, you know, zines, of course, uh, tattoo style art, uh, uh, you know, the more, uh, you know, built, not DC and Marvel, but the ones right. down, like, you know, you know, Dark Horse would be almost too popular. Almost, yeah. So basically, they're building something that you guys are building something that'll be a little, a lot harder to take away. Right. If, well, when it becomes successful, right. because with the amount of talent, I can't can't imagine it not being. Well, once again, it's it's not necessarily you know everything I do, I want to make I want to make a little money on you know I'm not, yeah. I'm, not I'm not purely altruistic. Well, you that, got to right. You got to make you a know, and, and this one, it's like the, this one. I think that uh, it's building the right festival with the right people that aren't motivated by money. They want to put on a really great event, you know, break even, make a little Skrilla, and it's all going to be good. And this one at the Sherman Event Center, once Denver, once the underground scene sees, sees how beautiful this theater is, it's just going to blow everyone's mind. Yeah. Well, yeah. when we hit stop on this here in a few minutes, I want to talk to you about that because I got another idea that I, want, I need to involve you in. Cool. But it's not ready yet to talk about on here. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so you got Dink in the works. Yep. You got Mutiny. You were part of Cabal. That's already, you've kind of... Yeah, I did it. six months on that, and I left. It's like, you know, it just, it, I think it works more for the artist in that situation. And uh, the people I got hooked up down there, I mean, the people that are still running it now, yep. I mean, we're still friends with them. I'm doing a show down there with Jack Jensen uh, this week, you know. Yeah. So, we're still tight. I'm just not an official member. Yeah. We'll just call it a founding member. And it's just one of those fun things that we had nine amazing artists that wanted a spot to hang out. I had access to this really cool spot, got everybody lined up, and then it just kind of, now it's turned into what these guys want it to be. Nice, yeah. and that, that's great. Yeah, I agree. I love it. It's, uh, what do they call that in the art world, where you just give somebody, not not that you just gave them money, but like... Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I can't think of it. Somebody on Twitter will remind me. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, um, not, a not a benefactor. So what what else you got coming on this year? You got any big any big announcements? Any big plans? No, nothing I can talk about yet. Damn it! Yeah. I was hoping I was hoping to get the scoop. No, no. So, Three Kings is celebrating its ten year anniversary. Yep. And you're leaving. Is it? And you're happy? Yeah. Oh yeah. Happy. So happy. <laughs> Everyone that really loves me also is very happy too. <laughs> I've put a lot. I've put my everything into that place for you know probably nine years. You know, last year I've been kind of laid back. It's been a long year. But uh, I got no regrets. Everything was yeah. great. You know, the, the the split was amicable. It's I mean, it's working out great. You know, we want to, the uh, the Kings realizes how important it is to make sure this block has a personality, and yeah. part of that personality is how well we all work together. Yeah, and I like how how hard you pushed that personality. Like when that thing was happening with the Weber Theater, you were your voice was upfront and uh, loud, louder than most people's about preserving that place. Well, we I didn't lived, win. I lived, no, we didn't win. But, you know, I live down here, you know, and what the, I think the biggest travesty of the gentrification of Denver, and I'm all for people moving here. I'm not against that at all. Yeah. I'm all for it. But the travesty is that Denver, whose history is 120 years, 130 years old, is tearing down 80, 90-year-old buildings yeah. to make room for crap, you know? And it's like, why would you do that? You know, the whole deal is what, what makes great cities. Like when you go through New York and stuff, there's 200-year-old buildings there that people are living in. Yeah. You know? You don't just tear these things down just to make room for something crappy. You fix up what's there, make it better. It seems like, for the most part, this block has that idea. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm really excited to see what, you know, with the Weber, you know, I think those guys are going to be all right. You know, the, and the bottom line is that no one we know that's cool can do that. You know, no one we know that's cool is going to take over that theater because no one has that kind of fucking money. You know, and with the Diablo building, it's the exact same issue. Yeah. The people that did take it over, you know, it sounds like a tech firm, so... I'm not sure what the deal is, but you know, hopefully they uh, top three floors get remodeled, turned into office space. Bottom floor will be restaurant and retail. You know, it'll cap off the neighborhood. It'll be super tight. And it will be almost 100% occupancy from Third and Broadway to Alameda. Hell yeah, you know, which is amazing. Tech company means woo, prices up. Real estate over here is going to go even higher, but that's all right. Yeah, well, that part stinks. Yeah. But you know, but people have always figured to make it out. There's a whole lot of cool people living in New York City that's really expensive, yeah. and you know, I don't know if you know anybody cool from San Francisco, you know, or Chicago. <laughs> you know, there's you know, people make it there. work, you know, and it's like, you know, down here you got to do it the old school way, just like college. How'd you afford to live in college? Well, five of us lived in this fucking you know three bedroom house, and if you want to live where it's cool, you got to pay. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um. And if, you know, if Broadway gets too rich for someone else, guaranteed, you know, there's people like me that are looking all over. There's great places in this town that are still undiscovered. And, you know, if I, if you don't find them, I'm going to go out and find them. Nice. And you're going to stick around for the long haul? Oh, yeah. Nice. I'm not going anywhere. I love this town. Like I said, I'm fully vested. I've got my mom and my dad and my son, and I've got my, you know, my girlfriend. And I live. Your businesses. Yeah, my businesses. Your babies. I, 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 live, I live a couple blocks away. So... Do you see yourself, you know, in six months from now, Three Kings, it's without you? Are you going to miss it? Oh, I'll, I think I'll always miss I mean, it. A piece of it will always be there, you know, but it's like, like yeah. When I, when I go back to the triple nickel, I get a little, like, it's such a, it's like, watch, it's like visiting your ex-girlfriend from, like, college, and she has a completely different life, and you don't even recognize her anymore, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, what? Who are you now? But they're still doing good, and they're still doing great, but it's... It's a little bittersweet for me. It is. I think I probably, you know, when I when I go to the Bluebird, I'm a little, in Ogden, Ogden not so much, but the Bluebird, you know, always I get a little verklempt there when I get yeah. in there, you know. And when I go there now, I don't know anybody, you know, so I can just enjoy it as a venue again, yeah. you know. And it's like, 
I suppose I, it'll come the day when I won't know anybody at the Kings and I can enjoy it as a venue again, you know, and I think that, that'll be neat. In the meantime, it'll be a little bittersweet, but it's like I said earlier, I've said, I've said goodbye to some of the most amazing people that, you know, that this town's ever seen. You know, I'm never going to see them again. And that'll hurt harder than, you know, yeah. than not being part of a bar. You know? <laughs> and there's lots of other bars out there. And, and like, you know, 10 years, that's a long time. And we talked about your proudest moments, but what are some of the failures that things that you really, really learned from that you're going to take with you going forward? Well, from all the businesses, you know, it's about, you know, you know, it's, I need, what I, what I focus on more in my head is that, you know, it's not about making money. It's really right. about just telling those stories, you know, and you, you, you got to get paid to do what you do, but you know, Every, every every minute you spend working doing something you don't like, it's, it's just a giant waste. Or spending time with people that you don't like, you know, I, I just wouldn't do that. And there's, you have to acquiesce at, at a lot of levels if you want to be able to do a business unless you got a million dollars. You know, that's why I've always had numerous partners at spots, you know, but as, you know, the refining process of me getting older, you know, the, the business partner choosing is a little more selective. You know, I don't necessarily need a, a, another person to do this project, you know, or two more people or four more people or whatever, you know. I learned a lot of that from the Rockaway, or not Rockaway, well, Rockaway for sure, and Cabal and everything. You know, I think the long-term goal would be just to have a business that I just own. Nice. You know, just me. But I don't know if I want that responsibility, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm flaky. You know, I really enjoy the opening and getting stuff going and creating the events and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then when it starts to kind of fill in the blanks, when everything becomes like an accounting program or, you know, that's the stuff you really have to worry about is paying your accountant and filling in the blanks. It's like, it's not as much fun. <laughs> no, you, know, and, and, you know, this one, I have a partner that, you know, at the Kings, there's a partner who really enjoys filling in the blanks. And, you know, they, they, that's what I missed at... The business before and you know what i needed with this one was to find someone exactly like that guy you know and you need to have that guy you need to have the guy that's going to go hey dude you can't just put solid gold toilets in you know yeah, i know yeah. it looks cool but you can't do that <laughs> you know because i'm that solid gold toilet guy yeah because <laughs> it'll, it'll look great for the party were those were those guys the reason why the Three Kings bathrooms took so long overall? No way, man, no way. <laughs> I, I liked those old bathrooms. I, character. Yeah, they did. I like it much still better now. Still has character. It, it definitely still has character. Um, I, we'll start to wrap it up and let you go. One thing I do like is that you've known. How long have you known Matt and Megacy? Over twenty years. Over twenty years, and you yeah. guys are working together still yeah, again. We, yeah, so we have trains together, did zines together, watched our kids grow up. That's crazy, and um, I find too. I mean, I've, I've relocated to this city, but I still find those people I used to know and work with 10, 15 years ago that I'm coming back around to. Like, I was doing zines when I was 18 and got into making music, and then got back into doing interviews, and it's so much more fulfilling now than it was at 18. Not yeah. that it wasn't then, but I don't know. It's all very cylindrical. But you know, hopefully, there's some kid out there that you know lives and works in the Denver scene who wants to start a band, wants to start a zine. Um, I, 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 me, I'm like, just get up to the couch and do it. Make yep. it happen. It's yep. really easy. Yep. Do you find that it's, is it easy? I mean, it's hard work. It's hard work, but it's pretty easy doing what you want to do. But it's really, I mean, it's great. You know, I, I, at the Kings, I, <clears throat> excuse me, never dreaded a day showing up there once. Yeah. I was excited to be there every moment I was there. The, co the coffee shop, <clears throat> mutiny's the exact same way. You know, just excited about showing up. And just doing it, yep. just being a part of it. And yep. you'll, you'll, I mean, you, you got to pay your bills somehow. So you can work your job, but just don't make that job be your identity. Yeah. You know, there's the, the there's the other, what, you know, 
14 hours in a day that you could go out and do something that you really want to do, you know? And if it's paint, draw, do a band. You know, just treat your band like a bowling team. You get together twice a week. Instead of bowling, you just jam, you know? Just do it because it's fun. Don't do it because you want to be a rock star, you know? And I like that you started in zines and that led to, you know, having a kid, working in record stores, and it led to working in music venues. Like, it just, once you get into it, once you start, it opens up all the doors. Yep, yep. And, then, and I remember just being so intimidated by the fact, you know, all these different things. One, interviewing people and things with zines, you know, and the, you know, I had zero experience doing it besides going to shows and getting thrown out of shows. You know, as far as security and that was just that was an amazing learning experience was that was becoming a door guy and a bouncer that was just like holy crap i learned a whole lot about you know dealing with people and not being shy anymore yeah. and you know not being shy anymore and getting up off my butt and doing it I, I learned that bartending being a dick to people yeah which works very well in my day job now at whole foods i'm just yeah. like nope yeah. you're not getting your way today yeah. putting your foot down yeah um so there's a new band they're getting ready to play their first show they want to play Mutiny. Yeah. What should they do to get ready for that first show? What should they be uh, worried about? Well, all, all, all I want to see, you know, is like to make sure that you're letting people know that you're playing. Yeah. You know, the, the various ways you can do that. You know, the obvious one, the Facebook event page. Uh, flyers, you know, come down. Come down and talk to, you know, come down and maybe say hey to us or who's ever working or who's ever going to be working that night. Find out. Other than that, just come down and have fun. There's really no pressure here at this place, you know. I mean, really no pressure at all. Even when I have, you know, I've had some bigger acts here. I just don't, I just don't sweat it. You know, this is really all about, you know, I can be more avant-garde. I can be more experimental here. I can make, people can take a lot more chances. You know, because I don't, I don't need, I don't don't have to worry about paying for a crowd, you know. (laughs) At a bar and a live music venue, to open the door, you have X amount of dollars you need to make no matter what, you know. I do the I do the music and stuff here because I just want people to think about a bookstore next time they want a book, you know, because usually I don't sell too many books that night of a show. You know, kids aren't walking out of here with piles of books in their hands. But they do come back a couple of weeks later and buy some pins and patches and books and shirts and records coffee. and coffee. Yeah. yeah, that's the cool thing is uh, doing the Mostly Harmless shows, I invite all my coworkers and they, have, oddly enough, they've most of them all come out. I think the free beer helps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're all like, oh, yeah, I went back to that bookstore and I bought this, this, yeah. and this. And I'm like, hell yeah. That's so, exactly why we do any of the events, because you know, it's just more fun that way. And I, you know, it's and it's good to support. It's like giving back. You guys are giving me something. I'm giving you something. Yeah. And watching just kids, you know, the, the, you know, being in the bar, like when I worked for the NIPP, you know, we did all ages shows <clears throat> a lot. So I got to see those kids, you know, like I remember, uh, you know, one of the, my favorite shows there, it's a band I don't like, but AFI, the kids, they sang along so loud with the band that it drowned out the, the, the PA. And I've, I mean, I get goosebumps when I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that before in my life. Not ICP, no show I've ever heard the crowd sing so loud it drowned out the band. Hell yeah. You know, and that, at the, at, at bars, 21 and over venues, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people aren't there to see the band, you know. Here at the bookstore, yeah. people come specifically for that. And if you don't like it, you just leave. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. And kids can come and watch in that, you know, the house party attitude where the band's not on a pedestal. The band's right on the floor in front of you. You know, and that's like, that's what got me into music in the first place. You know, it was yeah. that intimate setting where you're standing around watching, you know, four dudes jam right in front of you. You know, it's like a living room here. And that's exciting. And watching the looks on kids' faces, you know. Not a bunch of bitter old jaded drunks. <laughs> <laughs> Although, 
Some, sometimes. But sometimes, no. yeah. I mean, there's still joy being at the 21 show. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying I really like you know, the, what, what, what I enjoy seeing now is like the effect that music has on yeah. people that are under 21 or sober. Um, you mentioned the kids and that sparked this one. I was about to let you go, but you sparked an idea. You've been doing this long enough. Like um, You've seen guys my age come up starting at NIP, play, opening shows at the Bluebird, like all ages shows. Now they're adult. They're adults with yeah, kids and yeah. their own bands and own own successes. Yeah. Is there anybody in particular you're like super proud of? You're like that guy's come the furthest way, and I'm most proud of him. I don't know about the furthest way, but the, just people that I've got to they've got to sh- watch their lives grow. You know, Justin Hackle from uh, Native Daughters. I'm a big fan of that kid. You know, and I've known him, but I don't know if he was probably under 21. But pretty much that whole suburban home crew, which is you yeah. know gamuts. Uh, God, so many people came out of that, but Virgil in particular, you know, all the people, all the kids that he influenced along the way, and the, all that crew of people, you know, Scooter's still making music, and you know, uh, Chris and those guys with the studio with the Black and Bloom, and you know, I th- I'd say the, I'd say it's like you know that whole suburban home crew, those people I met through them, those are the ones I'm most proud of knowing over all these years, because there was a lot of kids where I really thought that I knew what rock and roll was. You know, yeah. so I'm working in a club. I'm the fucking guy that knows. You're just a poser, little shit kid. You know, I'll, you know, I'll see you on the way down. But you know, this is like 20 years later, and they're all still jamming, and they're making better music than they've ever made in their whole lives. You know, and, it's and, exciting as fuck. Man. And they still have these big, huge impacts on the scene and the yep. world around us. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty great. Hopefully, I, hopefully, I can be one of those like footnotes. You're, that's, you are. Yeah. Well, you say that. Yeah. You know, the key is just like this. Like yeah. now, now that you've created a, 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 a resume or a document in Denver, Tom Murphy, you know, and that guy, the, the Bob Medina, that did the Denvoid book. It was people that have to be there. It's like if you're not doing this, then nobody else is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole deal. Like Bob Medina, Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy in the long run. He'll end up writing like the definitive history of Denver from this year to this year because he is extremely prolific, absolutely fantastic writer, and like you know, a, a razor sharp memory. It's insane. Yeah. But if you don't, do, you know, if you're not doing it, then no one else, no one's doing it. Yeah. And hard work is only hard work if you're not having fun. Right. And you're having fun. Oh yeah, I haven't worked a day in 20 years, <laughs> man. Uh, like I said, like I, like I said earlier, you're. You're an inspiration. Hopefully, I can get to that place. Well, I appreciate it. And you always have been. So, um, whenever whenever I first moved to Denver, and you're like, I'm glad you're finally here. And you tell me this all the time. You're like, I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. It's like, hell yeah. Well, thank you for that. Because uh, it hadn't been for guys like you pushing and prodding. Guys like Jack and Justin Hackle, too, was like, how did you live down there so long? And I loved it. I wouldn't be the person I am if it wasn't for right, Colorado Springs. Right. But yeah, No regrets. It's just like you were saying. It's always about looking forward. Yeah. It's like looking forward. So Can't do anything about it yesterday. You got Dink. Oh, is Parlay going to happen again? Parlay is awesome. Uh, we have a different plan on it this year. Okay. So well, the street will be blocked off, but we'll just see how the music and stuff goes. We got a couple of sound tickets last year, and the city is really making it hard to do outdoor festival stuff. Oh. Yeah, the city and the cohort, co- yeah, whoever else is involved. Damn. Well, that was such a brilliant punk rock festival thing to do. Just throw, yeah. throw a street festival in the street <laughs> in the midst of this, you know, hip, cool. Yep. Well, that's how I roll. I loved it. Loved yeah, it. that's and how I roll. This year, it'll, it'll be the same attitude, just a different format. Cool. Yep. Uh, anything else you got coming no, up? Not really. Well, just keep looking forward. When can people find you here to drop off their demo tapes? I am here uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights from 5 to close. And then I'm here. I hang around all day on Saturdays. Cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. You're always out during the summer. You're always out on the uh, yeah. I'm on the on the corner all day. I'll do <laughs> seven it. hour days sitting in a lawn chair. And I got I got <laughs> you know to k- kiss your butt a little bit more. I was thinking about this. I'm like, you're one of those guys. It's like sometimes you see that guy walking down the street towards you, and you're like, shit, I'm gonna hurry. I can't talk to him. I run into you. I'm like, hey, dude, it's good to see you. I'm gonna hurry. I'll see you later. And you're like, yep, see you later. I'm gonna hurry too. You're, you're always going somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just a pleasure well i sure appreciate this thanks and thanks for all the nice compliments i appreciate that i'll be sad to see you go at kings but i can't wait to see what you got next up your sleeve oh yeah don't worry about me don't cry for me denver (laughs) you'll be uh you'll be at kings hanging out this weekend yeah i'll be there friday from like seven to nine or so that's it yeah pretty much i got there's i have a little after party planned after that oh okay you have to tell me about that later too i'll I'll tell you about that later. (laughs) (laughs) all right jim well thanks for hanging out chatting with me thanks buddy all right thank you mr jim norse for hanging out and chatting with me thank you for all the years of inspiration and cheerleading and just really pushing me to be the best damien i can be i don't know if i would be doing what i'm doing where i'm doing it and how i'm doing it had it not been for your influence and your push and your belief in me so uh thank you so much and hopefully you listeners out there kind of picked up on some of the ideas and themes and and i'm hoping that you guys can realize how easy it really is to be a part of the scene i know the interview was a little the chat i i'd rather actually say was a little all over the place but you can thank the fine Pablo's coffee that they're serving over at Mutiny Information Cafe on uh, us being a little bit all over the place. Uh, stop in, check them out. Second, uh, Second South Broadway, Denver, Colorado, right across the street from Sputnik and the High Dive. Damn good coffee, damn good folks, damn good books, comics, records, you name it. They've got it. Uh, one of my favorite places in town and some of my favorite people run the joint. Um, again, the... Uh, Three Kings 10-year anniversary party. Wow. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. And also the farewell of Jim Norris is going to be this Friday, January 8th at Three Kings Tavern. It's a free, free, free show. And check this out. Uh, You've got the fresh, man, let me see if I can say this without my front teeth. The Fresh Fudge Family, 18 years of white fudge. MF Ruckus in fourth year freshman. Uh, of course, all those bands have Aaron Howell in it. Aaron Howell is going to be on this podcast eventually. We're still trying to work out the details, figure out a good time, date, and something to uh, really promote for him. Probably should have done it, did it this week, but that's okay. We, we, we got it coming soon. And then also, uh, they've got Granny Tweed, Straight Out of Luck, and a whole bunch of other bands. They got Ooh La La Burlesque. And man, they just got a ton of really great stuff going on this Friday, January 8th at Three Kings Tavern. It's a free show. I'm definitely going to stop in and drop by. MF Ruckus and Fourth Year Freshman, man. Those guys are great. I've never seen White Fudge, and uh, I can't wait to see them. Speaking of White Fudge, here in a minute, we're going to end this episode with a White Fudge song picked out by Jim Norris, but I've got to give you the usual plugs. Uh, Mostly Harmless Live, January 14th at Mutiny Information Cafe, sponsored by Ratio Beer Works. Visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com for more information. I'm still working on the guests. Uh, the theme of the show is, I guess this is growing up, and it kind of has to do with um, me want trying to figure out how to stay creative and also have fun and, uh, you know, be creative, have fun, and make a living. That's what I'm trying to say. Damn, I still got too much of that coffee flowing through my blood. And then, uh, of course, mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. You can find us. Subscribe on iTunes, like on Facebook. Send me a little email. Uh, all right, buddies. Uh, without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and close out this episode. And, of course, when I asked Jim Norris what song he wanted to hear, close this thing out. He was like, oh, buddy, of course. It's got to be Cold Facts of Life by White Fudge.
who, of course, are playing January 8th at Three Kings Tavern for their 10-year anniversary party. And, man, I can't wait to get Aaron on the show. That dude has got the best the best stories in the world. Maybe he can come be a co-host or something sometime on the live shows. But, all right, buddies, this is Cool Facts of Life from White Fudge. We'll see you Friday at Three Kings Tavern. And uh, we'll see you in the funny pages, y'all. Y'all take care now.
White Fudge, do you actually think you're gonna make money on this album? Hey man, what's the deal with the gas list? Mr. Howell, Mr. Howell, is it true that your ass sucks dick? White Fudge, is it true that you don't know shit about dick? Or is it also true that you don't know dick about shit? Excuse me, excuse me, sir, do you have a moment to talk about polar bears? Hey, uh, uh, I got a question. Y'all like hip-hop? White Fudge is universally known for its rampant perversion and endless depravity. Where and when does it stop? 